We're going to get right into the message this morning, and we'll save some other things for the end of the service. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, as we continue our series on digging into the essentials of our faith that we started last week in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We saw that an essential is something that is basic, necessary, and indispensable element. It is what is vitally important. And we talked a lot last week about godliness and contentment. They are the basics, the primary elements, the essentials of our faith. Now, Paul is going to build on that this week by continuing to talk to us about other essentials of our faith in verse 11. But I just want to go back for just a moment and sweep in, if you will, to the passage today, just to sort of get a running start. Um, Paul taught us that we need to grow to a point where God is enough for us. We've sang about it, we've talked about it. If I don't believe, if I never come to a place where God is enough, then my entire life will be pursuing other things that I think will fulfill and satisfy me. And Paul said to Timothy last week that when people set off on that course in their life, they actually deeply wound themselves and bring upon themselves very intense emotional distress that is so unnecessary. Because they're living for things rather than living for God. Because God is not enough. And they end up then also living beyond their means, which obviously causes people a lot of emotional distress, then learning to live within their means. So that's what we talked about last week. Pursuing God, drawing closer to God, That's what godliness is all about. And coming to a place in my life where I realize the closer I get to God, he really is enough. Now today, what Paul's going to do is talk to us about significance, about meaning, about what is consequential, if you will. What is of greatest value? What really matters? And that's so important of a message today as well. Because let's face it, we live in a world where so many people are striving for meaning. They're looking for meaning. And they feel, honestly, most many individuals feel very small, very insignificant. They, they live their lives in a way that they, they basically want to draw attention to themselves. So, will anybody notice me? Does anybody know that I'm here? And they'll do amazing things to draw attention to themselves nowadays. Simply because they feel just the opposite. Though they may put themselves out there, what they're doing is screaming for significance. They're screaming for meaning. They're they're basically saying by their actions, I feel so small and insignificant and meaningless that this is what I feel I have to do to... Get somebody to notice or get attention. And what Paul's going to teach us today is that if we would just put God at the very center of our lives and continue to make him greater and bigger in our lives, 
that that significance and meaning and, and, and all of that that we run after by trying to fill our lives with everything else but God will actually come to our lives when we make God the very thing that we should be primarily pursuing. You'll notice, beginning in verse 11, after he has talked about those who long to be rich and and who make life about the pursuit of material things and acquiring material things and all of that, he contrasts now the picture that he has painted in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy 6 with Timothy. And as he comes to sort of directly talk to Timothy here, he says, but you... And he is drawing a very distinct, strong contrast with the behavior of many others compared to the kind of behavior that he hopes and wants to see in his young protege, Timothy. He says, but you. And it reminds us of something. That if we're going to pursue God, it requires us to be distinctive, if you will, From all those around us. That it requires us to even have a determination. Sort of like the salmon that swims upstream. Because most of the world is going to be going after these things. These temporal, physical, material things. And God calls us to live a much higher, nobler pursuit. And he says, pursue God. Make God and knowing Him more the entire focus of your life. And so there's going to have to be some determination there because our lives are going to be so distinct and so different from the majority of people around us, even those who claim to be Christians. And that's why Paul says, but you. We are called to live a distinctive and really even a determined life. To go in sort of the opposite direction from what the majority of people around us are traveling. And I want you to listen to these words from John that really not only remind us of last week's message, but continue to talk to us about this week's message and what we really are pursuing. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. That's why Paul is encouraging Timothy and all those under Timothy's ministry to be distinct and to be determined to be different. Don't go the way of the world. Don't get your life caught up in the pursuit that everyone else is pursuing just because everyone else is pursuing it. Because the bottom line is the reason they pursue those things is because they're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction that can only come through a personal relationship and contact and connection with God. 
And they're looking for significance. They're looking for meaning in life. They're looking for what is consequential and what is of great value because they feel about this big. And in a weird sort of paradox, they think that if they go after everything for them and they put self above everything else and that they go after these things, it's going to make them feel better and make them feel bigger. And actually, when they get to the end of that road, they realize those things don't make me feel that way. And so they continue to run after so many other things. So that's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.11, But you, as a person dedicated to God, keep away from all that. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. First of all, after he draws that distinction and contrast by addressing Timothy as, But you, he then uses the phrase, as a person dedicated to God. What does that mean? It means that I have begun to live my life in this way. I am preoccupied with the priorities of God. Not my own priorities, not the priorities of others, but the priorities of God. See, what happens many times, even the people of God aren't making God's priorities the priority of their life. Our priorities are other things. But a person who's going to be dedicated to God is going to find out, God, what are your priorities? What do you want me to be focused on? What do you want me to be pursuing and running after in my life? Instead of running after all these things, searching and seeking for significance and meaning in my life. To make me feel better about myself, if you will, in the scheme of things. And God says, here's the answer. Pursue what I have told you to pursue. Make my priorities your priorities. And then he begins to list, not a, an exhaustive list, but he, he begins to list some things that, that you and I as Christians could set some goals in a sense out in front of us and say, okay, God, instead of running after and pursuing these things, because the, by the way, the word pursue means to run after swiftly and to seek eagerly. So it's, it's describing someone who's really going to put themselves and they're all into this pursuit, if you will. Which, by the way, then, building on what we've already said this morning, this really requires discipline, doesn't it? If he's already talked to us about being distinctive and being determined and being dedicated, then before we sort of leave these thoughts in the first couple of verses we're looking at this morning, let's also throw out that word discipline. Because how disciplined do we need to be to make sure, like Paul said to Timothy, that I don't get caught up in all those other things. That I, that I shun, that I avoid all these other things that I could be pursuing and that I laser focus on these things and make my life about the pursuit of those things, the priorities of God. That takes discipline. That's why I've been sharing this year this daily blog or devotional with folks on our website. And trying to get Christians to come in and look at that every day. Because one of the greatest ways you and I will build discipline in our life is just to begin to live a life of discipline. 
of doing certain things spiritually in our lives every day. Even if it's just a little bit, but getting used to being consistent and doing it every day. See, God wants to build discipline in our lives. Because we need discipline. Because we live in a world of distraction more than we ever have, I think, as Christians in history. Because of the times we live in, there's more to distract us than ever before. And Christians who are going to be dedicated to God, who are going to be distinct, who are going to be different... And not get caught up in all the pursuits that's going on around them. We've got to be people of discipline. Who can say no to so many other things so that we can give ourselves wholly to what is truly of value and what really matters and what's really going to matter in eternity. And that's what Paul's teaching us here and reminding Timothy of in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But you, a person dedicated to God, Keep away from all these. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, and then uh, endurance and gentleness. Now when he comes to this next verse, verse 12, he sort of wants to build on what he said. And he says, Timothy, I want you to compete well for the faith And lay hold of that eternal life you were called for and made your good confession for in the presence of many witnesses. I think what Paul's describing at the end of verse 12 was Timothy's baptism. Many times when people are publicly baptized into the body as a a symbol of what went on internally, many times people give a testimony or a confession of how they came to Christ and how Christ has changed their life. And I think this is what Paul's describing here. And so he takes Timothy back to that time and place where he did this before many witnesses in public and basically aligned himself with God and And with the pursuit of God in his life. But then he uses these words. Going back, he says, compete well for the faith. These words are very important. They are words that were used of athletes and soldiers in Paul's day. They were words that described someone that would be willing to enter an arena or as a soldier, enter enter the battlefield and give everything you have in a very worthwhile yet grueling conflict. That's what the words compete well mean. Other translations of the Bible translate these words as fight. Fight for the faith. And what Paul is basically telling Timothy is, do we have You know, what we should within us to be willing to fight in our lives for what really matters. Because we have to understand, living in a hostile environment, living in a world filled with distraction, living with our own flesh, living with the attack of our spiritual enemy at all times, we have to be willing to fight for what really matters in our life. We cannot achieve what we should be achieving as Christians and we'll never experience the abundant life Christ came to give us by doing it passively, by just sitting back and just letting life happen. No, I've got to be willing like that athlete or like that soldier to enter into that arena or that battlefield and give it everything that I have. 
That's what it means to compete well for the faith. And by the way, faith here is not describing the act of believing or trusting in Christ. When the definite article, the, is used before the faith, the word faith, it's describing in the New Testament the biblical standard that God has given to us. His word, if you will. God's revelation. And so notice what Paul's telling Timothy. And this is especially important for pastors, but it's very important also for every Christian. That we are going to live in a world and have lived in a world, obviously, since God created the world, where the faith, what God has revealed to man, what God's biblical standards are of conduct, have to be fought for. Otherwise... It'll be like a carcass out there in the middle of the desert that gets picked apart, if you will, and looks nothing like it used to. Or or God's will and his word would be like that game you used to play as kids or, or even as teens where you would be in a circle. Someone would tell a short story and they would tell it person to person. And by the time it got around to the last person in the circle, if you ever played that game, you realize that what that person relayed, they thought was said, doesn't look anything or hear anything like it started out to be. See, God gave us his word. He gave us the biblical standard. But we all know that the Bible and God's standard of conduct and how we are to live our lives has always been under attack. People are taking things out of God's word. They're putting things into God's word. And unless you and I realize that one of the great worthwhile battles that we could ever fight is to fight for the truth of God's word, not only for ourselves, but for our generations to follow. How many, you know, of our children and grandchildren aren't even going to know this book hardly at all because we are growing up with a generation today that are biblically illiterate. They don't know the word of God. Therefore, we can't pass it on to the next generations accurately. And we are losing generation after generation because we've not been willing to fight for the faith. It was not a battle that we thought was important and that we wanted to enter into and give it our all. And therefore, the Word of God has just gotten picked apart over and over again and distorted down through the ages. And it's only going to get worse until Jesus comes. And not only does he tell Timothy to compete well for the faith, But notice he goes on to say, to lay hold of that eternal life that you were given when you accepted Christ as your Savior. This is a very important point as well. Paul's saying, look, I realize, Timothy, you're a Christian. You have eternal life. You possess it because you ask Christ to be your Savior. But what he's really saying to Timothy and to all of us is, Does your eternal life possess you? See, we can possess something in our lives and never use it. We can possess many things in our homes and stuff, and we not only never use them, we never, if we do use them, we never really fully use them. We never really figure out how to use them at their maximum capacity. 
or they're pushed to sort of the fringe of our life. So all of us understand I can possess something, but not really have it make much of a difference in my life. And Christians, Paul says, have to wake up to the fact that even though God gives us his eternal life as a gift, the second we accept Christ as our Savior, that if we're going to truly enjoy this life and experience this life, again, I can't sit back passively and just think it's going to happen. I've got to lay hold of it. I got to see that. I got to take it up for myself every day. In other words, Paul's basically saying to us as Christians, we've got to wake up every day and say, God, I'm going to focus today on experiencing this eternal life that I already possess. Laying a hold of it. Because if I don't lay hold of this eternal life, I'm never going to experience the life that God gave me when I was saved. And let's remember again something about this eternal life. When the Bible talks about eternal life, it's primarily not talking about a quantity of life. It's talking about a quality of life. A life that is on a higher plane. A life that I live that helps me to rise above my circumstances. And live in a different way. It's the kind of life that Jesus talked about when he said, I've come that they might have life and have it more what? Abundantly. Well, the reason why many Christians are not experiencing this abundant life because they look at a verse like that and they hear a verse like that and it's just totally foreign to them. Because like, my Christian life, I'm, I'm not experiencing the abundant life is maybe because are you laying hold of it? Are you competing well for the best? Are you giving your Christian life and your relationship with God your all? Are you truly making God the priority? Are you living distinctive and determined and dedicated to God, making His priorities your priorities? If not, then you probably aren't experiencing. In fact, I can pretty much say, based upon God's word, you won't experience that abundant eternal life. Because you possess it, but it hasn't yet possessed you. You have it, but you're not really experiencing it. Because that's our responsibility. Yes, it's a gift that God's given, but just like any gift, that gift won't mean anything to me unless I open it up, begin to use it, begin to plumb the depths of all that's entailed in that gift, that gift will just sit there all my life. And so that's why Paul says to Timothy, compete well for the faith, lay hold of that eternal life that you were given, that you were called for, that you were named after, Paul says. And, and what Paul is saying here is that when we begin to live this way, all of a sudden, my life becomes way more significant, way more meaningful, way more consequential, of greater value. Why? Because I'm focusing my life and all the energy of my life and all the effort of my life and all the time of my life on what really matters. And what really matters at the end of the day is God and my relationship with Him. And again... When I focus on that, on him, then I start to realize I'm not so small. 
I'm not so insignificant. I'm not living a life that's meaningless. I'm of great value. But see, that's why we live in the world we do today that is starving for attention, starving for people to notice them, starving for meaning and significance because long ago people have left God out of their life because they're pursuing the things of the world that won't last. That literally, John says, they're passing away. And that's why we as Christians... If we're going to set some example and show others what real life, abundant life is all about, we've got to begin making God the priority of our lives that he should be. Because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the Bible teaches, will all steal and rob from us what's the most significant, the most meaningful, the most consequential, the most valuable. That's why, very interestingly, even in that verse I quoted earlier that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If you read what Jesus said right before that, he said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And Jesus is laying out a principle here. That living in this world that pursues all these other things that pass away and knowing that my flesh desires not the things of God by nature, but the things that please me and putting self and all this other stuff that's transient as the priority. And then knowing that my spiritual enemy wants to rob from me and steal from me what really matters. That's again why we've got to live disciplined lives. Because what God is trying to teach us here is we're going to live a whole life where there's going to be all these forces around us. It's going to continue to try to steal from us and rob from us what really counts, what really matters. And unless we can learn to grow to a place where we can say no to that and yes primarily to God, then our lives will be robbed of the meaning that God always intended for our lives to have. Our lives will be robbed of our significance that God wants us to see. Our lives will be stolen. The the consequential nature of our lives and the value and worth of our lives will be lost with all this other stuff that we've surrounded our life and the pursuit of our life with. And this is why Paul's message now to Timothy this week in this passage just builds on what he said last week. If we could just get to a place in our lives where getting nearer and closer to God would be the primary priority and getting to know Him. Because this is what Jesus said eternal life is all about in John 17, 3. He said, you want to know what eternal life is? Eternal life is knowing God. And the word knowing there is to continually know Him better and better through experience, through contact, through communication. It's the word of relationship. That's eternal life. Eternal life is primarily getting to know God more. Then if I get to know Him, oh my, I'm going to start living an abundant life. 
And all of a sudden, what is significant and meaningful and consequential and of greatest value all of a sudden comes into perspective like never before. And all of a sudden, I'll not only start to look at my life differently, I'll start to look at me differently. I'll start to look at everything else differently. Everything will change. Because even as we sung about this morning, I'm being made new. I have new priorities, new dreams, new pursuits. All based upon my relationship with God. So notice he goes on then in verse 13 to say, I charge you before God. Who gives life to all things in Christ Jesus who made His good confession before Pontius Pilate. He's saying, listen, even up to the very end, Jesus Christ was faithful. He was trustworthy. He was reliable. He was dependable. And he was all in for us so that we could have this eternal life. And now for the rest of this passage we're going to look at this morning, he wants to turn our focus completely over to God. Because what he's already said is, look, a life of significance and meaning and value is really a life that is totally centered around God and the pursuit of Jesus Christ and knowing Jesus more and making Jesus more a part of my life. And when we do that, we will begin to live a life both of worship and victory. And I want to just touch on that for a moment this morning. Because notice what he goes on to say about Jesus Christ. First of all, in verse 14, he says, I want you to obey this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's also telling Timothy and all of us, look, there's no time in our life where we can let up on the gas, if you will, of our spiritual growth and our Christian life. We've got to pursue God And make him the priority of our life until we see Jesus. That there is no such thing as you and I get to a certain age physically or get to a certain place spiritually as far as our maturity and growth where we can sort of let up and just sort of drift into eternity. Sort of coast into eternity. Sort of put our life on automatic pilot like a lot of Christians do. Very passive. And unintentional about the way they live their Christian life. Because Paul says, if that's the case, the world, the flesh, and the devil will rob you and steal from you everything in your life that's significant and meaningful. We've got to live disciplined. And part of that discipline is remaining faithful over the long haul, sustaining it over the long haul. That's what you and I as Christians have problems with. A lot of times we don't have problems diving into something new. Man, we can give something great effort for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple, you know, obviously right now, you know, we're in that time of the year where I almost just, you know, not that I want time to go faster, but it's like every January, what's the commercials? Lose weight, get on a diet, exercise, because, you know, this is what it's all about. This is, you know, this is what, you know, your focus needs to be. And I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't eat right and shouldn't exercise and all that. 
But, but what I'm saying is we live in a world where people will get on that for a while. But most of them will not be able to sustain the way they started out 2015 till next year. Which is why then when the next year rolls around, like, yeah, I got to really, I got to keep up with that better. And I got to, and it's all the same cycle over and over again. It's the way many of us are as Christians. We can start off like gangbusters on certain things. But it's then maintaining that same level weeks, months into it that really make the difference. And that's why Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't even put a thought into your head like you can let up until Jesus Christ appears. Very interestingly, too, I, I just thought that it was that Paul used that rather than until you die and see Jesus. You know why I think he chose until the appearing of Jesus Christ instead of saying until you die and see Jesus? Because I think Paul really thought that before Timothy died, that Jesus would come back. I think he was that, you know, he had that kind of conviction on the return of Jesus. That instead of even talking about Timothy's death, because he was a young man at this point, it was like, Jesus, until he comes back for you, Timothy, you stay with it. Don't let up ever. Because you're fighting for your life. You're fighting, Timothy, for what really matters. Are you willing, Timothy, to fight in your life for what really matters? That's what Paul's saying to all of us today. Are we willing to compete well and lay hold of that eternal life we were given? Because if we're not willing to fight for what really matters, then we won't live lives that really matter. Because everything else that we can be distracted by and our lives can pursue beyond God will flood into our lives and take over. Because that's the way human beings are. So then he says, by the way, this Lord Jesus, verse 15, who's appearing the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings, Lord of lords, will reveal at the right time. He alone possesses immortality and lives in unapproachable light whom no human has ever seen or is able to see. To Him be honor and eternal power. Amen, Paul says. Paul just begins as he reflects on Jesus Christ and making Jesus Christ the very center of our lives, is trying to remind Timothy how great and big Jesus is. Because if we truly interact with Jesus Christ, our Savior, every day, then we're going to begin to live lives of worship. Because we're going to continually see in a growing way how great and big Jesus is. See, one of the things that will result from a life where we put God first is that there will be this ever-growing sense of awe and wonder and reverence and respect for Jesus Christ. Because Paul uses these, you know, big terms in a sense to describe who Jesus is and to remind us who Jesus is and why a life in pursuit of Jesus will be all worth it one day. Because is there anyone in the universe more worth it, if you will, and living my life for than this one, Jesus? The blessed one. 
The one who is the sovereign. He uses that word to remind Timothy. He's the ruler of the universe who's in charge. Our our world might seem very out of control and chaotic. But Jesus Christ is in charge. He is the ruler. And then he goes on to say, he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And one day Paul told the Philippians, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul is telling Timothy, any moment, any second that you spend in your life in pursuit of Jesus Christ and exalting Him and glorifying Him and getting to know Him will never be a waste. It will all be worth it. Because that's what's really significant. He then reminds us, too, that this Jesus Christ alone is immortal. The word means that he's the only one in the universe who has life within himself. You and I don't have life within ourselves. The reason we sit here today, the reason we're still breathing today, is because our life is dependent on God. He gave us life. He sustains our life. He preserves our life. None of us have life within ourselves. Only God has life within himself. And only he can grant that life to anyone else. Literally, the word in the Greek means deathlessness. He alone is deathless. And then he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, this Jesus is incomparably holy. Because he lives in unapproachable light and no human being has ever seen nor could see him in all of his glory. That's how great and big Jesus Christ is. See, none of us as human beings have even a way to just sort of waltz into the very throne and presence of God on our own. We can't do that. We don't even know where to go. And I even thought this past week, you know, every year that goes by, they keep reminding us as they get a little bit, you know, greater equipment and greater uh, technology about how vast our universe is. Well, guess who made this vast universe that we as human beings still can't come to the end of? Jesus Christ did. He's so much bigger and greater than we could ever imagine. And no human being could ever stay alive. We would implode. We would disintegrate if we somehow came into the full glory of who God is. And so what Paul is doing here by piling up all these, you know, ways to describe Jesus Christ is reminding us of something. Because he's already told us our life should be in pursuit of Jesus Christ making him the priority in our relationship with him, the priority of our life. And so the reason why he, he sort of continues down this road, he's like, do you know how great and big Jesus is? Because if you do, then wouldn't you want to spend your life knowing him more and pursuing him more? See, there, there's not going to be one Christian, not one Christian, when we get to heaven, who once we get there, and we see Jesus, and we see heaven and the glory and all of that, there's not one Christian who's going to say, man, I wish I'd have lived less for Jesus and and more for other things. I wish I would have pursued 
that and, 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 and made more time and more effort and more energy to do that rather than spend time with Jesus. There's not going to be one Christian that does that. But there's going to be a lot of Christians that, wow, all the years and months and weeks and minutes and seconds that I wasted That really, at the end of the day, in eternity, billions of years from now, was of no significance, had no meaning, had no consequence, and was of no value. What should have been the priority of my life was you, Jesus. Was you. Let me also say this. A very encouraging thought should be popping into our brains at this point, too, from this passage. And that is that when I make Jesus Christ and who he really is the priority and center of my life, then we begin to live lives of victory. We begin to conquer. We begin to overcome. Why? Because we have this ever-increasing realization and recognition and acknowledgement of who it is who lives within us through his spirit and who it is who is by our side every moment of the day. And that's going to change the way we live. Because instead of living lives of defeat, of being defeated by the world, the flesh, and the devil, we realize who it is who's by our side. We have the sovereign one. We have the king of kings and lord of lords in my life. I have the one who alone is immortal. I have the one who alone lives in unapproachable light that no one can see and no one ever has seen. He's in my life. And therefore, my life can take a whole different trajectory. Because that means you and I don't take a step in our life without Jesus being right there with us. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know about you, but when we're facing challenges and obstacles and situations, they can be awful daunting if I'm looking at what's up in front of me and it's just me and that. But when I know as a believer in Jesus Christ that anything that you and I will face, any challenge that will come my way, any obstacle that will be presented, any kind of trial or testing or anything, that Jesus Christ, the one who's just been described here, stands with me, then there's nothing you and I can't conquer. There's nothing you and I can't overcome. There's nothing in our lives that we can't get victory over because we have the sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, the one who alone is immortal right with us every step of the way. And our lives, instead of primarily being lives of defeat and discouragement, will begin to be lives of conquering and victory and overcoming. Because, guess what? We're pouring our lives into who and what is really significant what is of greatest meaning what is of greatest worth and value and that is my own and your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ no wonder Paul ends this section with the word amen this is a word that not only is the strongest affirmation that one could give like I agree I affirm let it be But this is also a word that was used to talk about what's essential. What is of pivotal importance in our lives? When when someone says, amen, they're also saying, not only is that true, but boy, is that really important. 
And that's why Paul ends this section on describing the glorious manifestation of Jesus Christ with the word, Amen. Could there be anyone or anything more important than Jesus Christ? Folks, listen to me. I'll repeat this again as we wrap up our thoughts here this morning. We live in a world, a world where people feel like there is no meaning, no significance, no consequence, no value, no worth to life or to me or to me being in life. And that's why they live their lives screaming for someone to notice them. Because they feel this small. And what the world and the flesh and the devil will do in order to rob and steal us is to come into our lives and begin to tell us so what you need to do to feel better about yourself and to think that you're bigger than you are and that you are significant is focus on yourself. Put yourself out there. Selfie generation. I want people to notice me. Somebody affirm me. Somebody tell me I'm of value and I'm of worth. And God is saying, you want to feel significant? You want to feel your life has meaning and value and worth and that you do too? Then give your life over to me. That's how you experience eternal life. That's how we experience abundant life. It's not by buying in to the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's by listening and living out the truth of God's word. God says, if you will make me the priority of your life, then significance, meaning, consequence, value, and worth will all come about into your life. But as long as you pursue the other things and make yourself the king of your life, then you will very much struggle with significance, worth, value, and meaning. Next week, we're going to talk about how to enjoy life, not just how to endure life. Let's pray. As the worship team is coming, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, just want to take a moment And let's just allow God's Spirit to hover, if you will, in this place and to press in upon us. God, so many of us in this world We want to be somebody. We want others to notice us. We want to be loved and appreciated and all of those things. We want to feel that our lives on this earth, as short as it is, counts for something. 
That there's a reason why we were born and why we exist and why we live. But God, you have clearly revealed to us today that if we're going to get to that place in our lives, then we've got to avoid, as Paul said to Timothy, all these other things. And we've got to live a disciplined life. A life that above everything else pursues you and your priorities. A life that is willing to fight for what really matters to us. And more importantly, what really matters to you. And God, I pray that this morning, those who hear this message will be willing to rise up from this time with you, God. And begin to fight in their life for what really matters like never before. That the true desire of our hearts is to experience this eternal abundant life. And once and for all, God, lay hold of it. To not only possess it, but to let it possess us. And begin to experience the life you brought to us through Jesus Christ like never before. God, help us to make you the center of our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.